like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR. This is, of course, the uh, last show for the month of September. Sure goes by fast, I'll tell you. (laughs) Anyway, we have uh, lots to do this evening. My name's Gavin Walker, and I'm your host, as I am every Monday night, with three hours of some of the best of jazz music, so... We'd like to welcome all of you out there and hope that uh, you enjoy the sounds that you're going to hear this evening. We, as is our new policy, at least for the last couple of months, and it will be forever, the jazz feature is right from the get-go, right at the beginning of the show, and that's what we're going to hear right now. And the jazz feature artist this evening is one of the leading voices of an instrument that I play, the alto saxophone. And uh, this gentleman is one of the great masters of that instrument. And I'm talking about Philip Wells Woods, Phil Woods. Phil was born in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, November 2nd, 1931. And Phil is still very much with us. Uh, He performs, he teaches, he's recording, leads his own group, and of course uh, is now one of the great jazz masters and icons. Phil, of course, set the standard, um, one of the high standards for uh, saxophone playing. Phil uh, has had such a long history in jazz music. Uh, He came to New York as a young man in 1948 with a little bit of experience playing in some big bands in his hometown and um, actually made a recording, uh, although it it had limited distribution. But um, he came to New York to enroll in the prestigious Juilliard School of Music. And, of course, um, brought his saxophone in, his alto saxophone, and said, that's what I want to do. I want to graduate as a saxophonist. And, of course, they looked at him and said, are you kidding, Mr. Woods? The saxophone is not a legitimate musical instrument. We do not teach the saxophone here at Juilliard. Do you play the clarinet? And Woods said, well, uh, yes, I do. That is what you're going to major in. What are you going to minor in? And and Phil said, well, I do play a little bit of flute. That's fine. Those are legitimate instruments. And those can be taught, and so on and so forth. That was the snobby attitude of most music schools at the time. The saxophone was treated um, as a toy, not as a legitimate musical instrument, despite the fact that it did have a history in classical music. Um, Many composers wrote for the saxophone and so on and so forth. But that was back then. Anyway, Phil uh, enrolled in Juilliard and uh, got himself a little place in New York. And, of course, to kind of pay for the fees and all this kind of stuff, he took every conceivable kind of gig. And, of course, with the one thing in mind, was that he was going to be a top-notch jazz artist playing his beloved alto saxophone. And, of course, that's what happened. But he played in, as I said, he played 
every conceivable kind of gig, uh, circuses, bar mitzvahs, weddings, funerals, uh, frat parties, um, proms, all this kind of stuff, and was in and out of various uh, big bands. But he managed to finance his way toward graduation from Juilliard, and uh, then after that was heard at some of the uh, jazz spots around in New York in the mid-50s. Next thing you know, Prestige Records came knocking at his door and said, would you like to record for us? And Phil Woods made his first jazz recording in 1954. And um, on a 10-inch Prestige new jazz recording, which I have, I have the original 10-inch uh, recording of that. It's, it's great, and someday I'll, I'll play it for you on the show. And uh, made several other recordings, and Mr. Woods was on his way. He was one of the new voices of the alto saxophone. His inspiration, of course, was Charlie Parker. And he wasn't alone. Phil, Jackie McLean, and Lou Donaldson were the three most prominent New York alto saxophonists at the time. And Woods, of course, being the most um, sophisticated musically, uh, Lou Donaldson came from uh, North Carolina, and um, he was absolutely great. Jackie McLean was raised in in Harlem, was basically self-taught, but um, they all were the young heralds of the alto saxophone. Charlie Parker, of course, was uh, on his uh, basically on his last legs, and people like Paul Desmond and Lee Konitz, uh, who had already made their mark, were already stars. I'm talking about the young stars on that instrument, and Mr. Woods was one of the most prominent, along with Lou Donaldson and Jackie McLean. This recording that we're going to hear... Oh, incidentally, just here is a little extra thrown in. When Charlie Parker died in March of 1955, Phil Woods was, of course, at Charlie Parker's funeral, where he met Charlie's widow. And it wasn't long after that that they fell in love, and he married Charlie Parker's widow, Chan Parker, and they had a happy marriage for... uh, for many years, although the marriage didn't last a lifetime. So that's a small side uh, bar to the uh, history of Phil Woods. Phil is a tremendous uh, musician um, and funny. And, of course, uh, I had the pleasure of uh, uh, interviewing Phil and spending some time with him um, back in the uh, days when I was doing radio for CBC. And uh, it was very interesting to, uh, to hang out with Phil and, and, and talk with him. And uh, he told me that uh, his, his uh, background was uh, Scottish and French-Canadian. Uh, very interesting, even though he was born in Springfield, Massachusetts. All right, back to this album. This album was really the album that put Phil Woods at the forefront as I said, he'd recorded for Prestige a couple of nice albums, made some sideman appearances, but it was this album that was really the one that kind of pushed him right up there to jazz stardom and proved to everybody that Mr. Woods had arrived. Uh, 
The album is called Woodlore, and it was recorded for Prestige Records. It was um, back in the early days when 12-inch LPs were just coming into prominence, and uh, the 10-inch LP was being phased out. So this was Phil's first 12-inch LP, and it featured him in a quartet setting with the wonderful Johnny Williams at the piano, John Williams from Vermont, not to be confused with the film composer uh, uh, John Williams. This is another John Williams, but he plays, and uh, he plays a great swinging uh, style in the sort of a combination of Horace Silver and Bud Powell, John Williams on piano. On bass, beautiful choice. He was uh, one of Charlie Parker's favorite bass players, and Charlie Parker referred to this gentleman as his heartbeat. And I'm talking about the great late Teddy Kotick on bass. And on drums, a buddy of Phil's who was on a lot of his recordings, a great drummer that uh, Phil loved like a brother. His name, Nick Stabulous. So we have a quartet. John Williams on piano, Teddy Kotick on bass, Nick Stabulous on drums, and of course, Mr. Woods on alto saxophone. The album consists of um, a bunch of great tunes, beginning with the title track, written by Phil Woods. It's called Woodlore. Then uh, the second tune is um, a Neil Hefty composition called Falling in Love All Over Again. Then a great tune, which was a huge hit on the hit parade uh, in the 50s. It was a vocal by the great opera singer Mario Lanza. I remember my mother loved this tune and loved Mario Lanza's version of it. But it's a great tune to, uh, to play jazz on. And so Phil Woods does Be My Love, Justice. So that's tune number three. Tune number four is a tune that was put on, it was a pop tune by Frank Lesser, and it was put on the jazz map by Charlie Parker, and it's called I'm Going to Get You on a Slow Boat to China. Then the prize of the whole album is tune number five. It's Harold Arlen's and Ted Kohler's great up-tempo tune called Get Happy. And the final tune is a Phil Woods composition. It's called Strollin' with Pam. So here then, our jazz feature album, one of the great albums by Phil Woods, one of his, as I said, his first uh, triumphant album, which really put him on the jazz map, was recorded November 25th, 1955. Phil was just a young man. And the album is called Woodlore. So sit back and enjoy the jazz feature for this evening. Woodlore, Mr. Phil Woods.
jazz feature this evening. A great album recorded in November of 1955 for Prestige Records, and it was entitled Woodlore, the great Philip Wells Woods on alto saxophone. And of course, uh, during the this period, Phil Woods Jackie McLean and Lou Donaldson were all three young, up-and-coming alto saxophonists who were heavily influenced by, of course, Charlie Parker. And they all took um, what they could from Charlie Parker's style and built it into their own. Um, Lou Donaldson stripped down Charlie Parker's style and made it his own. Jackie McLean took the the dark, um, bluesy side of Charlie Parker's uh, style and turned that into a style. Phil Woods took Charlie Parker's ringing sound and uh, sense of lyricism and moved that, and of course the total confidence moved that into his style. And of course we heard the first great record by... Phil Woods, Woodlore. And Phil was accompanied by a stellar group of musicians, including John Williams at the piano. As I mentioned before, not to be confused with the film composer, uh, John Williams. This is another one. And um, John Williams had a short career uh, in jazz. I don't know. He seemed to fade um, during the 50s somewhere. I know he went to England. He was originally from Vermont. And a uh, great piano player, and he recorded with Cannonball Adderley and, and uh, all kinds of different people, Stan Getz, um, etc. Um, and he was the pianist on this album, too, with a kind of a punchy, swinging, uh, percussive style on piano. I always liked his playing a lot. And on bass, one of the great ones, uh, Charlie Parker, one of Charlie Parker's favorite bass players, Teddy Kotick. And uh, Charlie Parker referred to Teddy as his heartbeat. And, of course, uh, one of Phil Woods' running buddies, a wonderful drummer, the late, great Nick Stabulous on drums. And Phil used to always introduce Nick as Fabulous Stabulous. Really fine drummer, influenced, of course, by Art Blakey and Max Roach. We heard six tunes from this album, very well-chosen originals, uh, or tunes, uh, with a couple of Woods originals as well, including the opening number, which was the title track from the album. It's called Woodlore. Then we heard um, the ballad of the set, the very beautiful thing written by Neil Hefty called Falling in Love All Over Again. 
Then a great tune, which was uh, number one on the hit parade back in the 50s, uh, Mario Lanza's version of this tune, Be My Love, was tune number three. And then a great uh, tune from the late 40s that Charlie Parker put on the jazz map, written by Frank Lesser, On a Slow Boat to China. I'm going to get you on a slow boat to China. Then the capper of the whole set was Phil's up-tempo minor key version of the Harold Arlen, Ted Kohler tune, Get Happy. And that was the uh, incredible um, piece. And the final tune was a nice, relaxed blues written by Phil Woods called Strollin' with Pam. And that was our jazz feature this evening. Phil Woods, Philip Wells Woods. And we're very happy that Mr. Woods is still very much with us. Um, He teaches... Um, he performs frequently, and he's still recording. And uh, one of the great masters of the alto saxophone. In the original notes written by one of my favorite jazz critics, Ira Gittler wrote the original notes on the, um, on the LP of this, and they were duplicated on the CD version. And he says, Wells, or no, I'll quote here, Woods, Philip Wells, alto sax, soul, very soulful. No doubt his roots are deeply in jazz. Swing. Swings very hard. Get funky, too. Ideas. Always thinking and searching, especially rhythmically. Fine, melodic sense. Technical skills. Marvelous command of his instrument. Beautiful singing sound. Potential unlimited. Unquote. Good way to describe this album. So we hope you enjoyed the jazz feature tonight. Phil Woods, Woodlore. And, um, you know, something I forgot to do at the beginning of the show. I'd just like to tell you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show. And I meant right from the get-go, and I didn't do it. I'm going to do it now. Dedicate the show to one of... The great people who lived in Vancouver and made a significant contribution to Vancouver's cultural and musical scene, I'm talking about Drew Burns. Drew Burns passed away. Uh, We don't know a lot of the circumstances of his passing. I believe he died at home. But Drew Burns, of course, for 28 years ran the Commodore Ballroom when it was a fun place to go, not run by corporate interests. The Commodore Ballroom was uh, run by Drew Burns in a, in a benevolent and wonderful manner. He was a nice man. He was always fair to musicians. Uh, if you were short of money, as musicians very often are, we live in kind of precarious financial state a lot of the times, Drew would very often be very willing to... Uh, lend you or even give you money. He was that kind of a guy. And um, he saw the Commodore Ballroom at the time as a community resource. And uh, there were so many great shows at the Commodore. And Drew Burns was behind um, the whole thing. Of course, he went on to other things after uh, he lost control of of the Commodore. And of course, uh, it turned into something else. But Drew once said that he was gratified that his 28 years at the Commodore were the right 28 years. 
and he knew exactly what that meant. Last time I saw Drew was at uh, John Nolan's jazz dance gig, and uh, Drew was there sitting with a, a friend of mine, and I had a nice chat with him, and that was the last time I saw Drew Burns, and he was one of the nicest people um, that ever existed. And uh, I don't think that anybody, musician, uh, waiter, uh, bartender, would ever say anything bad about Drew Burns. So, as I said, I'm dedicating the show to him. He also loved jazz music and um, was responsible for uh, bringing a lot of jazz talent into the Commodore and opened those gates for such people as the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society to present some of their finest concerts ever at the Commodore Ballroom. Uh, Drew made it easy for them to bring in people like Sonny Rollins, uh, Johnny Griffin, uh, tons of people um, to the Commodore and uh, made everyone feel at home. So here's to Drew Burns. Hats off to a long, productive life. All right. We're going to get back to music now with a little bit of a change of pace. This time, we're going to hear some music by one of my favorites, the pride of Tippo, Mississippi. I'm talking about Mose Allison. Mose Allison, who plays the piano and, of course, sings and composed most of these tunes that we're going to hear. We're going to hear four uh, to kick it off. And this is Mose uh, with um, some different bands. The first tune is one of his great compositions and was always a perennial favorite. And it's uh, the title of the tune is Your Mind is on Vacation. And he's accompanied here by the late Addison Farmer on bass and O.C. Johnson on drums. Then we're going to hear two tunes um, with um, Mose in a slightly different context with some horns. And um, Mose is going to sing two tunes, and he's accompanied by the great Jimmy Nepper on trombone from the Charles Mingus Band, uh, Jim Ryder on tenor saxophone, once again Addison Farmer, the late Addison Farmer on bass, and Frankie Dunlop on drums. And uh, that combination is for two tunes. And we're going to hear a Mose Allison composition called The Swingin' Machine. And one of my favorites, another one of my favorite Mose Allison compositions, Stop This World, I Want to Get Off. Then the final tune, we go to a live uh, date that took place on Halloween night at the Lighthouse in Hermosa Beach um, with Stan Gilbert on bass and my old friend Mel Lee on drums accompanying Mose, and he's going to do Willie Dixon's famous tune, The Seventh Son. So here's some music by the great, wonderful, eccentric, and charming Mose Allison. You're sitting there yakking right in my face I guess I'm gonna have to put you in your place You know, if silence was golden You couldn't raise a dime Because your mind is on vacation And your mouth is working overtime You quoting figures and dropping names, you're telling stories about the dames. 
You're over laughing when things ain't funny. You're trying to sound like the big money. You know if talk was criminal, you'd lead a life of crime. Because your man is on vacation and your mouth is working overtime. Short talk is cheap. Don't be making promises that you can't keep. You don't like this little song I'm singing, just grinning back. All I can say is if the shoe fits a wet and you must keep talking, please try to make it rhyme. Because your man is on vacation and your mouth is working. Thank you. 
master of my fate. Take a tip, don't be over here. Just reach out, see what it's all about. You know it's much more felt than seen. I'm talking about my little singing Stop this world, let me off. There's just too many pigs in the same trough. There's too many buzzards sitting on the fence. Stop this world, it's not making sense. Stop this show, hold the phone. Better days this lad has known. Better days so long ago. Hold the phone, won't you stop this show? Well, it seems my little playhouse is falling down. I think my little ship. Stop this game, deal me out. I know too well what it's all about. I know too well that it had to be. Stop this game, you know it's ruining me.
Everybody's talking about the silver sun in the whole round world. There's only one, only one. Yes, I'm the one. I'm the one, I'm the one, the one they call the silver sun. I can tell your future, it will come to pass. I can do things for you, make your heart feel glad. Look in the sky, predict the rain. I can tell when a woman's got another man on the wound. Yes, I'm the one. I'm the one, I'm the one. The one they call herself I can talk these words that will sound so sweet They will even make your little heart skip a beat I can heal the sick, raise the dead And make the little girls talk out of their head I'm the one Yes, I'm the one I'm the one, I'm the one The one they call themselves a son I'm the one, I'm the one The one they call themselves a son Yes, sir. The pride of Tippo, Mississippi. Mose Allison. Yes, uh, a real institution. Mose is still alive. He's 86 years old. He's retired from um, the music business and touring and all that kind of stuff, but uh, he's got such a, a long legacy of uh, really uh, incredible recordings. We heard a few tunes here. Uh, from some different sessions that uh, he was uh, long um, a product of uh, Atlantic Records, and uh, these were all recorded for Atlantic. The first one, of course, was a famous tune, his own composition, called Your Mind is on Vacation, Your Mouth is Working Overtime, Mose Allison with Addison Farmer on bass, and O.C. Johnson on drums. Then two tunes with... uh, an unusual uh, combination for Mose. Usually he just works uh, in a trio, but the, uh, some horns were added for this one uh, in the persons of Jimmy Nepper on trombone and Jim Ryder on tenor saxophone. Jimmy Nepper from uh, Charles Mingus's band. Great, beautiful sound on trombone. Addison Farmer once again on bass and Frankie Dunlop on drums. Recently departed. Great drummer. So we heard two tunes with that combination. Uh, both Mose Allison compositions, Swingin' Machine and Stop This World, I Want to Get Off. And the final tune was from a live concert at the Lighthouse in Hermosa Beach with Stanley Gilbert on bass and Mel Lee on drums and, of course, Mose 
doing Willie Dixon's famous tune, The Seventh Son, Mose Allison. All right. Well, September 23rd, last Tuesday, was John Coltrane's birthday, an anniversary of this great and possibly one of the most influential jazz musicians of the 20th century. Coltrane's legacy will live on for a long, long time. And, of course, he recorded prolifically. There are so many performances of um, John Coltrane's music with his uh, classic quartet. And, of course, before and after the classic quartet um, broke up or expanded and uh, Coltrane's move into more abstract um, kind of music. His whole history, his whole musical history is um, available on records. One of the few artists where every change that he made musically uh, was documented and recorded. And of course, there are many, many recordings coming out of uh, archives from European tours, from uh, clubs that uh, the band played in the States and that sort of thing. And I was privileged to hear John Coltrane's band every year from 1961 on. And uh, in 1965, I heard it twice. And uh, a most amazing year for John Coltrane because it really was a transition year. When I heard uh, Coltrane's band at the beginning of 1965, it was very much like the sound of the recording Love Supreme, and and it was out of that that he was playing. But when I heard the band in November of 1965 with some added people, the music had changed radically. And, of course, um, that was the beginning of when many people were kind of opting out of John Coltrane's music. He attracted some new people, but a lot of the older fans were scratching their heads in, in, in puzzlement and wondering, what the hell happened here? <laughs> Train's music had, had changed and changed quite radically. This is a piece of music that was recorded in the midst of that change. And it was recorded in uh, May. Actually, uh, um, uh, June of 1965, and uh, it is the classic quartet with McCoy Tyner on piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. Now, a lot of Coltrane's recordings were just absolutely amazing, but there were certain things that actually were captured in the studio that gave you an idea even a better idea of the intensity of a live performance. And I think this piece of music captures that. All of a sudden, something takes hold in the midst of this piece during Coltrane's solo, and it's absolutely amazing. Stuff like that would happen when I heard him in person, and of course, people would just uh, um, would be in awe, um, and, and it would almost be like... Um, Something extraneous was was happening, and of course, uh, um, it was very difficult to ex- explain. It was like an epiphany almost, and I think, um, and occasionally, 
that was captured in the recording studio. And that's why we're going to hear this piece of music dedicated to the memory of John Coltrane and belatedly celebrating his birthday, which was, as I mentioned before, last Tuesday, the 23rd of September. This is a piece of music. It's called Transition. John Coltrane, McCoy Tyner, Jimmy Garrison, and Elvin Jones. Thank you. 
Thank you.
What can one say? John Coltrane, the classic quartet, his composition entitled Transition, recorded in June of 1965, the year of transition for John Coltrane. McCoy Tyner at the piano, Jimmy Garrison on bass, Elvin Jones on drums. And, of course, this incredible performance um, that took place in a recording studio but really um, transcended the recording studio. Things like that would happen when this band, when you heard this band in person um, in a club and uh, trained at the time um, during 64 and 65 was, was playing long, long sets and uh, the, the audience would just be absolutely mesmerized and occasionally what you heard on this recording would happen in a club and... Uh, we're so lucky that it, uh, it took place in a recording studio under optimum conditions. Transition. Celebrating what would have been last Tuesday, the 88th birthday of John William Coltrane. So we hope you uh, experienced that incredible performance. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And my name's Gavin Walker, and coming right up is uh, something you may be interested in. Of course, everybody's interested in Vancouver. Everybody's interested in the weather. That's one of the, one of the major topics <laughs> that, that we talk about. And, uh, of course, we always deliver the weather right here on The Jazz Show, the week's forecast. And tonight is mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of a shower, a little windy as well, and um, but low of 13. Tomorrow is a mix of sun and cloud, windy once again, uh, with a low of 13 and a high of 17. Wednesday, cloudy with a low of 10 and a high of 14. Then Thursday and Friday uh, is cloudy with a 70% chance of a a shower with uh, lows between 10 and highs up to 16. And then Saturday and Sunday, a little better. Cloudy on Saturday with a low of 11, high of 19, a little warmer as well. And Sunday is a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 11 and a high of 18, so maybe the, the good old sun uh, peeking out once again. It was a gorgeous weekend this, this past weekend, but uh, this week is, uh, well, a transition week. So there you have it. You know, Art Tatum was a most amazing musician. He was, he was um, 90% uh, sightless, blind, 
And uh, he uh, came out of Columbus, Ohio, and uh, was just um, actually Toledo, Ohio. He was born the 13th of October, 1909. And uh, he passed away at a, a fairly uh, young age um, in about 1956. And Tatum was, of course, one of the most formidable pianists ever. And I'm, I'm not talking about just jazz piano players. I'm talking about pianists, period. Uh, he was admired by such people as Rachmaninoff, uh, Vladimir Horowitz, um, and so many of the, the uh, great classical pianists. They couldn't believe what they heard. And, of course, Tatum um, took influences such as Fats Waller, some of the famous stride pianists, but elevated that style into, into uh, his own and could um, instantly transform a tune and, and instantly reorchestrate it uh, to his own needs. He was just one of the most amazing musicians ever to cross the planet. And he arrived in New York City, in 1933, and recorded his first four pieces, and they stunned the musical world. Tatum was a, a, a man who, who uh, uh, wandered around. He, liked, he, he was a night owl, and of course, uh, there were all kinds, in Harlem, there were all kinds of little joints uh, that always had a piano, and of course, some of them... Um, some of the great piano players that were around at the time uh, would come in and play, and then net the next guy would take over and uh, try and outdo the first guy and so on and so forth. Tatum would usually arrive very late, and of course the whole play room would, would be totally silent because Tatum would sit down at the piano, and even if the piano was beaten up and had keys missing and so on, he would instantly figure out where all the strong points were on a piano and make it sound like a concert grand because he was a genius. And, of course, Tatum influenced um, such people as Oscar Peterson, Bud Powell, Phineas Newborn, so many of the virtuoso pianists. And uh, Tatum is still one of the highest standards of piano playing. So we're going to play his first four recordings that were done for the Brunswick label, recorded the 21st of March, 1933, in New York. And the first piece of music is an amazing rendition of Nick LaRocca's Tiger Rag. Then we're going to hear W.C. Handy's great tune, the St. Louis Blues, and then Duke Ellington's, uh, one of his most famous compositions, Sophisticated Lady. And the final tune is a Vincent Newman's classic that everybody knows called T for Two. So here then are the debut recordings of the one and only Art Tatum. Thank you. 
four of the most amazing debut recordings you're ever likely to hear, done on March 21st, 1933 in New York City. The music of pianist Art Tatum, and we heard four tunes with uh, young Art Tatum, who was born in Toledo, Ohio, October 13th, 1909. And um, he passed away in Los Angeles uh, from uremic poisoning. Um, That's kind of a a kidney ailment. November 6th, 1956, and we lost the greatest jazz pianist, but uh, he has influenced so many. As I mentioned before, Oscar Peterson, Bud Powell, all the way down the line, Chick Corea, any pianist um, who is playing jazz today has listened and has been influenced by Art Tatum. So the first four tunes of his recording career done for the Brunswick label way back when, 1933. Tiger Rag was the first tune written by Nick LaRocca. The second tune was the St. Louis Blues written by W.C. Handy. Duke Ellington's Sophisticated Lady was third, and finally, a beautiful, relaxed version of Vincent Eumann's Tea for Two, Art Tatum. We uh, have um, a brief announcement, and we're going to come back with uh, my favorite edition of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, and... um, Before that, we have a couple of things we'd like to tell you, and we'll get to that starting right now. How much do you know about bites? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished, guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers, or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen and then get riding. We'd like to remind you that you're listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. And we're here every Monday night with three hours of some of the very best in jazz music. And just a couple of things before we get into uh, a segment featuring some live recordings taken off the radio, actually, recorded at Birdland by Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. But first, I'd like to uh, just mention two great websites that you should get on because they're comprehensive and you can find out what's going on in and around Vancouver, all the gigs. Um, musical biographies of um, local um, resident musicians and um, comments. Uh, even our jazz features are on this one, uh, on Jazz on the Air. Um, a little write-up about the, uh, about the feature that I do every week for Brian Nation's website, which is vancouverjazz.com. That's a really, really good uh, website. Brian, uh, 
Brian keeps it up to date. And, um, you know, without Corey Weed's cellar, um, there really isn't a central place for, for uh, jazz on a nightly basis. But there are all kinds of places that are featuring jazz music at various times. And uh, so you can kind of plan your activities by going on these websites and, and checking it out. If you want to hear jazz on Saturday afternoon, great. Go down to the Pat's Pub. It's free, and uh, it's located in the uh, Patricia Hotel down the downtown east side. It's very friendly, very warm place, and uh, some of our finest musicians play at, uh, at Pat's Pub. And that's been going for, for quite a while. It goes from 3 to 7 every Saturday. So there's all kinds of uh, places where uh, jazz music is played. And Brian Nation's uh, website can uh, let you know. Um, he keeps, As I said, he keeps it up to date. So that's one website. That's VancouverJazz.com. Another website is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And they have some concerts planned for this fall. And you'd best get on their website and check it out. You can uh, find out how to get tickets and uh, uh, all that kind of stuff from their website, which is coastaljazz.ca. And um, that's all. Just get on your computer or iPhone, whatever you use, your iPad, and uh, check it out. That's coastaljazz.ca. And one final thing, I always mention my buddy Ken Speller. Very fine musician indeed, and he's also a repairman. This is what he does. Um, he also teaches music as well. So if you need a good teacher, he's an excellent teacher. But what I'm talking about is his abilities to repair uh, musical instruments, saxophones, reed instruments, saxophones, clarinets, flutes, um, whatever else that uh, is uh, considered a woodwind. Ken Speller knows how to do that, and he works from home. His workshop is right in his home, which is located at 13th and Lonsdale area of North Vancouver. And um, Ken's prices are very, very reasonable because uh, if you have an instrument overhauled like a saxophone, it can run into one hell of a lot of money, and uh, Ken keeps his prices down. He can do that and uh, charge you far less than uh, a lot of folks that I know. And he's really, really good. He can be reached uh, at 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933, or uh, you can reach him via email, which is kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, all one word, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. kspeller, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Good man to know. Well, you know, Art Blakey, this band, and I, I have this from the horse's mouth. Uh, I've told this story a few times, um, that Art Blakey, uh, in a very roundabout way, told me this was his favorite edition of the Jazz Messengers. And um, basically it went this way. I, um, I was talking to Art, and I said, you know, you may think that this is kind of a silly question, um, and, uh, because we were talking about all kinds of things and I, uh, decided I couldn't resist. And I, I said, you know, do you have a favorite edition of the jazz messengers? I wanted to make it as informal as possible and sort of say it in the context of other things so that it wouldn't take Blakey by surprise, but it did. And he looked at, he gave me the, <laughs> he gave me a long, hard look 
And I thought, oh no, I've asked, I've asked just a dumb question. And um, I was prepared to, to have my head knocked off. But Blakey looked at me and he said, uh, they're all my favorites, including the one you're listening to tonight. Uh, that, uh, and that happened to be the band with Wynton Marcellus in it. <laughs> so, uh, and, and then he said, you know, I say they're all my favorites, especially the one with Wayne Shorter, Lee Morgan, Bobby Timmons, Jimmy Merritt, myself. And he looked at me again and said, does that answer your question? And, of course, it did. And um, <laughs> so that was his very roundabout way of uh, saying that this was his favorite edition. Now, this band recorded a lot. There's a lot of Blue Note recordings, studio recordings by this band. Uh, and they're all very, very, very good. And uh, you can see why Blakey loved this band, the chemistry um, in this band was unbelievable. And it was just, uh, to me, this band really represents uh, some of the very best of jazz music. But, and I say this with a big but, these recordings, a lot of the recordings uh, that, that um, were, I guess we could call them bootleg recordings, because they were, uh, they were taken off radio broadcasts and then distributed out uh, sort of underground on on um, uh, labels and and this sort of thing, and of course eventually they all hit uh, a CD issue and this kind of stuff. But um, these were some of the finest jazz messengers, and the, there's a certain um, feel on these recordings that that even the greatest of all his uh, Blakey studio recordings didn't get because they were recorded live in front of an audience and the band was uh, everybody in the band took more chances and just just went for more because uh, they weren't officially recording so there you have it um because that affects a musician uh, psychologically. If you're in a recording studio, sometimes you edit your playing. Uh, you don't want to take too many chances. You don't want to fall on your face or make a mistake or, or play a really bad note. But in-person recordings uh, like these, there's no worries. Just go ahead. Just play. And that's what makes that separates these recordings from the studio recording. Anyway, we're going to hear two pieces recorded April 16, 1960 at Birdland. Now, the recording quality, the sound quality of these isn't, isn't the greatest, and there's, um, there's a little bit cut off the uh, beginnings of these tunes. Not much, just a couple of bars um, because of the way they were, rec were recorded. But this is the band with uh, Art Blakey on drums, of course, the great Art Blakey, with Wayne Shorter on tenor saxophone, who was the musical director of this band, the great Lee Morgan on trumpet. He is absolutely my favorite trumpet player. Bobby Timmons on piano, Jimmy Merritt on bass. We're going to hear first a tune written by, or two tunes written by Bobby Timmons. The first one was actually um, issued on a Blue Note record, done a, a studio version of this tune. Um, and the tune is called That There, and um, this is a great version. The second tune is Bobby Timmons' great uh, classic, The Cannonball Adderley, was a hit for Cannonball Adderley's band when Timmons was a member of that band, 
And Blakey never recorded this on a, a commercial label, but he played it in person, and the tune is called This Here. So Bobby Timmons, first of all, that there, the second tune, this here, and Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. Thank you. 
two recordings by Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, recorded at Birdland, April 16th, 1960. Blakey's great band, with Wayne Shorter on tenor saxophone. He was the musical director of the band. And the incredible Lee Morgan on trumpet, Bobby Timmons at the piano, and Jimmy Merritt on bass. And those were two Bobby Timmons compositions, two of his most famous uh, compositions. That There was the first one, and Dish Here was the second one, Bobby Timmons. We're going to continue uh, with a piece of music that I've always liked. This is by the Jazz Crusaders. And we paid tribute a couple of weeks ago to the late Joe Sample, who passed away just recently, uh, who was, of course, the pianist with the Jazz Crusaders. Um, About three years after this was recorded, the Crusaders did a switcheroo and became simply the Crusaders and uh, began to uh, uh, add a more sort of uh, R&B and fusion sound to their band, but they were still on a musically very, very high level. But uh, this was recorded when they were still the Jazz Crusaders, and proud of it. They were... uh, I also neglected to to say when when we did our tribute to Sample that uh, Joe Sample and... uh, saxophonist uh, Wilton Felder and uh, trombonist Wayne Henderson and, of course, the nominal leader of the band, Nesbert Hooper, Sticks Hooper, were all from Dallas. And uh, that was a huge error on my part because they were not from Dallas. They were from Houston, and they went to Southern Texas University uh, together. And that's where they met and formed their musical alliance. So uh, there you go. It's a big difference between Dallas and Houston. <laughs> so there, there you go. So I wanted to correct that. Anyway, we're going to hear a tune uh, with the Jazz Crusaders. Um, Sticks Hooper on drums. Joe Sample, of course, on piano. Wayne Henderson on trombone. Wilton Felder on tenor saxophone. And the great Buster Williams on bass. This was recorded in 1967. This is one of my favorite tunes by the... Uh, Jazz Crusaders, and it's a Joe Sample composition called Blue Monday.
Blue Monday by the Jazz Crusaders from their Pacific Jazz album called Uh-Huh. And uh, that was written by Joe Sample, and the late Joe Sample, who played piano, of course, with the band, along with uh, the nominal leader of the group and spokesperson for the group, Nesbert Hooper. Sticks Hooper on drums, on tenor saxophone, Wilton Felder, on trombone, Wayne Henderson, and on bass, the great Buster Williams was part of that uh, organization at the time. Recorded in L.A. in May of 1967. Here's uh, a relatively new band led by my friend Jerry Gibbs. Jerry Gibbs is a wonderful drummer who is the the son of uh, one of the most famous vibes players in jazz, Terry Gibbs. Terry is his dad. Jerry is his son. And Jerry is a great drummer. And he put together this trio it's called the Thrasher Dream Trio, and uh, that's his name for it, with one of the finest pianists in jazz music, Kenny Barron, and one of the finest bass players ever, Ron Carter. What a lineup, Kenny Barron, Ron Carter, and Jerry Gibbs. And we're going to hear a couple of tunes from this uh, album, the Thrasher Dream Trio. We're going to open with uh, a Thelonious Monk composition called Epistrophe, which Monk uh, used to use as his um, theme song. And then we're going to uh, play a composition by Herbie Hancock called Tell Me a Bedtime Story. Famous tune by Herbie Hancock, one of his best love compositions. And then we're going to hear, as a finale, John Coltrane's Impressions. So here then is the Thrasher Dream Trio, led by drummer Jerry Gibbs, featuring Kenny Barron at the piano and Ron Carter on bass.
Whoa, what a great trio, led by drummer Jerry Gibbs. And, of course, on piano, the fabulous, one of the best piano players living today, Kenny Barron, and on bass, equally prominent, Ron Carter, all-star trio. And we heard four tunes. We began with uh, Thelonious Monk's composition that he used as a theme song called Epistrophe. Then we went to a very famous Herbie Hancock composition called Tell Me a Bedtime Story. Then uh, a version of John Coltrane's Impressions. And the final tune was uh, another Herbie Hancock composition called The Eye of the Hurricane. Jerry Gibbs on drums, Kenny Barron on piano, Ron Carter on bass, concluding another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR. Stay tuned now for uh, more great stuff to come. We'll be back next week. And, of course, you're listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And my name is Gavin Walker. And next week, right at 9 o'clock, we'll be back with another edition of The Jazz Show. So do take care and enjoy the fall, which is uh, happening. And, of course, uh, as I said, this is the last show for the month of September. And it'll be October by the time we're back again. So we'll see you in October. Bye-bye. Ba-do-ba-dee-oo-doo-wee Ba-do-ba-dee-oo-doo-wee